From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go on a Monday. Willie Ramirez is here, Ari, as we're doing the uh, Cofield and Company, the Cofield and Company. I'm now titling it the Cofield and Company. Monday show live at our Finley Toyota Studios. What's up, Willie? You're back. Yes. We had a... I think I lost that bet. I think I bet that you weren't coming back. Ever? Yeah. I always get pushed by the uh, the SO to take off the day after. That's what she likes to do, but I want to get right back to it after a vacation. Yeah, you want to jump. Yeah, because then you get too settled and then... Come on. Come on. We have, there's too much, too much good stuff to get into. The weekend was outrageous. The game last night was nuts. And I was uh, en route, flying across the country, watching on an airplane. Oh, boy. And pro- I was, it was weird. We got a lot of VGK stuff coming up today. We're going to talk to a former VGK broadcaster and Seattle Kraken broadcaster, Nick Gismondi, towards the end of the hour. Uh, we're trying to hunt down John Buchgross, who was on the game last night, so that'll be cool. But, yeah, watching on an airplane that was going from – it was actually uh, rerouted to Miami, going from Miami to Vegas, very quiet. I couldn't tell if anyone else on the plane was watching, but basically as I got off the plane, as I was getting off um, – while Bill scored to make it 5-2, and I heard, like, no reaction on the plane. I was like, wow, this is a little bit different than, say, a big football game where, you know, you'd have the uh, the pilot announcing the score or something. But uh, when I did get out of the jetway, I did hear someone down the way like, yeah, and it was a bartender. It was, well, a, bar- it was a bartender at the airport. You weren't lying. You, d- you did want to jump right into it. I mean, you don't want to spend the first few minutes talking about nonsense, food, what you watched on TV, your, the weekend. What the yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Oh. That was uh, JT the Brick had tweeted that earlier. He gets <laughs> mad at Colin Coward or whatever Colin was doing today. So Yeah. Um, yeah, we talk about that stuff all the time. Um, I don't know. Our bosses told us to be 3D years ago, whatever that means. So John Griffin's like, hey, get into everything. I don't need John to tell us to do that because we've been doing that for – Decades. 30 years, but uh, yeah, if you're an interesting person and you talk about some of the other stuff, you, some of your stories, um, I will not get into my trip much today. There wasn't, there's, there's some stuff I can get into. I'll, I'll intertwine it into the, the programming later in the week, but no, it was interesting watching this hockey game, you know, as I'm flying across the country. I was really into it. I thought it was a great game. Uh, so many dramatic moments in the game, uh, and we'll get to that inside of five minutes. Yesterday was also a big day. You know, I'm on the UNLV beat, yep. beats, so uh, covering women's basketball and, of course, the runner Rebels and the Rebels, but... That was a really important day yesterday for Kevin Kruger because I know they've been fighting and scratching and clawing to try to kind of catch up locally and make the inroads to get local recruits. And one, you know, they got Jalen Hill back, right, yep. from Oklahoma. And that was a really big loss for Marvin Menzies, as was your guy, Julian Strother, Strother, right? Yep. And they were going after both of those guys, and they lost out on both of those players to uh, you know, Oklahoma and Gonzaga, respectively. And they got Jalen Hill. I think with the cooperation of his family to come back. And I think there was a lot of cooperation here from the uh, Thomas family as DJ Thomas, D-Dan Jr. follows his dad's footsteps to UNLV. I'm not sure everyone in the family was on board with going to UNLV. We're going to talk to uh, D-Dan Sr. later in the week. He's, he's booked for a Wednesday spot uh, because his mom actually sent out a really interesting message that um, suggesting sort of that Jr. had – had it in mind that he knew where he wanted to go for a while, and I don't want to misquote her, but it seemed like she was suggesting maybe we were, we you know everyone wasn't on board, and uh, you know he 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 did what he wanted to do. So hey, if you don't know who DJ Thomas is, he's a six foot point guard. He is 
by 24-7, the number 22 player in the country in the 2024 class. He's the number 31 player in the 2024 class by ESPN. He's the number three point guard in the country. I mean, there's a lot of storylines here that we'll get into throughout the week as we bring guests on. But the biggest thing is making inroads to get some of these top players in Las Vegas because it's become a really basketball-rich market. And when you have a legacy player in the market, Willie, you got to get those guys. It's a big deal. He is. And here's – you know what? Uh, We've been talking about this a lot lately, just in general, with different teams, whomever it may be in this town. Character. This is a character guy. I I did a a project, an annual project I do with the girls basketball coach, Billy Hemberger, from when he was at Spring Valley, now at Liberty, and his sports leadership class that he does. DJ was in that class, and I got to meet him and then went out there for a game, uh, the, the girls' home opener. Um, and just meeting him and talk to him and sort of reminiscing about when his dad was at school and and knowing him and and uh, and of course he's got his his uh, his stepbrother. I mean, it's either his stepbrother or his half brother. It would be his half brother. But Deedon's son was a state champion football player at Faith who played for Vernon, and now Keenan's stepfather is Shane Victorino. Okay. So they share the same right. father, All different right. moms, but right. um, but. DJ's a really good kid. Yeah. So you're you're getting a top-notch player, a huge recruit. Who's And why is this going to be huge? You, you mentioned the local scene. But, Steve, everybody's going to know him nationwide. They're going to see the school that he chose. They're going to look at Las Vegas. And I don't care what anyone tells me. The pro sports scene, the headlines that this team it's, – it's, it's in the headlines yeah. everywhere, yeah. whether it's the A's, whether it's the Raiders, whether it's the Aces. Also, the women's basketball side, Lindy – this is a huge grab for so many different reasons, and it's going to help recruiting. Oilers and six, Oilers and six, Oilers and six, Oilers and five, Oilers and seven, and seven, and seven, Oilers and seven, just Oilers from Chris Chelio, Trey Ferraro, Oilers and six. Did anyone from ESPN pick the freaking Knights in this series? Leah Hextall, Oilers and seven, and seven. Uh, some guy, Tim Cavanaugh, Golden Knights and seven. Uh, there are what, a total of three? On this list that picked the Golden Knights out of like 27 in a series that opened Oilers minus 155 and VGK is victorious, defying all the experts. And honestly, I'm not going to say it was easy, but as the game went along, you saw the strength of the Knights and the flaws of the Oilers. We're going to get into the conversation later on. I I love it. I wonder if Connor McDavid's looking around going, these guys don't know how to build a franchise. Like myself and Dreisaitl, and they have some other good players, obviously. Yeah. Right? And their their power play is ridiculous. But I got really irked watching this series with this whole mentality like, we've got to call this series differently to almost help the Oilers, because if they're not in the power play, they're not a great team. And as you're watching, you're on pins and needles. Like you can't touch anyone because of this stupid this power play thing. And the Knights, for the most part, except for that ridiculous period towards the uh, the end of the second period where it was like penalty, 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 penalty. Like it was like call, make up call, no call, make up call. It was just, it was ridiculous. But great job by the Knights. Awesome job. And we got to say, I mean, the second period. One, the depth of the team helps them in the second period. Two, the coaching adjustments clearly help in the second period. 
And then you got Marshy, who was quiet for most of the playoffs in terms of goal scoring until a couple of games ago when he had two goals. And Willie, he just freaking, before he played the highlights, he was awesome. And I was so glad the broadcast team pointed out that there were more than a few times where Dreisaitl was near Marcheseau trying to cover him. And they were like, Marcheseau is shedding himself of Dreisaitl. And you know how big Marcheseau is? Somewhere between you and I. Yeah. Right? He doesn't yes. weigh 250 yes. like me. No. Uh, you know, he's not 5 whatever like you, but he's he's about 5'9". And these, he, you know, these guys he's shorter, are big. He's these, shorter than that. The, yeah? Okay. Yeah, he's shorter than me. Okay. So, you, so you're talking whatever, 5'7", 5'8". He five, eight. with his skates. He's just l- above me. Okay. With skates on. And he's shedding off the giants of the NHL to do what he did in that game. That yeah. second period, uh, you know, especially like the first 13 minutes, awesome. Yeah. No, I, um, I know you hate when I do this, but. We've said it on this show when the series started. We even asked the question, and you were teasing. You were going, Willie, can we get past the first round before we start asking which team would, we, would, would the Golden Knights rather play? I spoke to their assistant coach, Misha Donskoff, up in the press box. I said, this is a tailor-made series for Vegas. I don't know how they're making the Edmonton the favorite. Yes, they're great. Yes, they're fast. Yes, Connor McDavid. But this is the type of – this is the type – Hey, the one flaw was the penalty kill trying to keep up with those guys. Other than that, it's a tailor-made match. And why? Because of the depth. They can go deeper, whereas Edmonton, you have McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, and then there's a drop-off. Those guys are good. They're all professional hockey players. But Vegas, let's start naming them. Eichel, Stone, Marchessault, uh, Carlson, Smith, you, Wah, they have skaters who can outskate their third, fourth line. It was tailor-made, and they played it to a T. I didn't think yesterday was going to go the way that it did. I thought Vegas was capable of winning, but I didn't think. I thought that we were going to – well, we saw the first two and a half minutes where it went back, forth, back or uh, Riley Smith, then the first two goals. I thought it was going to be like that the rest of the way. I had no clue that Vegas was going to dominate the way that they did. They took them out of their game. Give me the uh, Marcheseau goals here. There's three of them. It was 2-1 at the end of the first, and then the Knights come out on fire, and the freaking pressure, which, by the way, we have to get into Skinner versus Campbell. Ooh, that decision did not work out at all for the Oilers. So for all the excuses they made, maybe one simple personnel decision did them into the series, but here's Marcheseau with his first goal. Now a left point shot save, rebound, score! Jonathan Marcheseau finds the garbage in front, pots the goal, ties the game. 2-2, four minutes into the second period. Jonathan Marcheseau continues his stellar play of late. Awesome. Great call by Dan Duva. Uh, here's Marcheseau with a second goal. Across to the left, Martinez. Left shot save, up into the air, off the post, they score! Marcia so again, and the Knights take a 3-2 lead. Yeah, so much action in front of the net. And little little Marshy, no insult to the guy, but he gets it done, and then here's the massive goal to go up 4-2. One penalty about to expire. It's now 4-on-4 four four again. Petrangelo left. Marcia so shoots. He scores! It's a hat trick for Marcia so. The Knights have a 4-2 lead with a minute 24 to go in the second period. It's the second playoff hat trick for Jonathan Marcheseau. What a friggin' momentum crusher. I mean, it sounds crazy, but even with a high-powered team like the Oilers, 4-2 from 3-2 is massive. Going to the break. 
Uh, I thought I have a lot of thoughts on this series, man. I like I said with the the refs, and that was a four on four. There was actually at one point a four on three. Uh, that series of penalty calls, and then trying to judge the penalty call. I got to tell you, for all you hockey fans who bang on basketball for NBA players being drama queens, how much flopping was there? in that second period trying to draw calls. And then in the third period, I forget who went down kind of late, probably about six minutes left. And the, the officials were like, get up, get up. Jeez. Like they didn't say like, stop flopping, but there's no penalty. Okay. Right. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. I, I, that's, that was one of the things I didn't like about the series. And I even saw, you know, I've got a, a special column for uh, RTHG, right. To see what kind of conversation is going on. Yeah. Highly, highly, highly engaged. Ryan, the hockey guy over on the VGK insider show. And, they're still pissing and moaning on the Edmonton side about the way the series was officiated. Your the build of your team sucks if you have to get penalties and you get to the point where, like, it drives me nuts in the NFL that we've become this in the crowd. Like throwing a fake flag all the time. The guy's on the field all the time with the pass interference, right? That we're so worried about the officiating. Let them play. I thought that was one of the great things about hockey is that it's super physical. And then all of a sudden we have one team that if they don't get the power play, they probably don't have a chance to win the game. And their their crowd is is it's freaking 17,000 officials. And by the way, that sucked the life out of that crowd. That crowd sucked yeah. in the third period. Yeah. So I like we get into this debate all the time about this building here and these fans here in Vegas, up yours. Oh, Edmonton's crowd yesterday was sucked. It got it quiet. sucked, and the players reflected it because yeah. the players started playing nervous, yeah. and then they're throwing themselves on the ice. Any yeah. kind of anyone touches them. I mean, the, the there were, I think the whatever it was five penalties in like three minutes. The first one was a hold. It was like JFC. I mean, they, the, the the a hold on that guy gets tugged on the left shoulder, oh, throws himself to the ground. I didn't like that about the series, but good for the Knights. They they didn't get sucked into it. They had a little period there where it got really dangerous, but then Edmonton kind of did themselves in by playing like jackasses. And they they are it's, we say this all the time. If you're going to call it, call it consistent. So that said, you got you got to call all those. But those were you know they're they're penalties. But I like it when they let them play and the the little penny ante stuff. You just you, you got to let it go in hockey, especially in a game like that. Game six. A lot on the line. You you got to let them play. But, you know, there's also, Steve, we don't see a lot of stuff. We see the replays and everything, but we don't see what they see live. We don't see everything that they see with the replays, that the, the angles. Um, there's something that they may have seen that we didn't. And they also, especially last night's crew with Wes McCauley, that's the type of crew that will tell you over and over again, time and time again, Okay, that's your first warning. That's your second. Okay, look. <laughs> and then the third warning. So you got away with so, And that's where you always hear, you didn't call it then. Right. But I warned them then, and I warned them. So the third time may have been, eh, not compared to the first time, but you've been warned. So now you're going to get whistled. I'll warned. give you another thought I had as I was watching. <clears throat> Canadian teams are now in a drought, going back to what, 2000? 30 years. Right? Is it 30? It is 30 years. You're right. I, I, I was going to say 2003. It's 90. What, 93? So, I I think the fans are part of the drought. I think those buildings, they get so freaking tight. There's no energy. God, that was if, that if, was if, so lame. It's on, it's on you. 
fans of Canada in in a good part that no team there has won a Stanley Cup well, in th- forever. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. or at ESPN Las Vegas. Home. VGK? Home. Home? Yeah. All right. Did you uh, – were you frustrated by the beginning? I knew the baseball game was going to be crossing over with the hockey game. I had two TVs on, so yeah. I already knew. And I here's the thing. I – I get it. I understand there's an obligation. The baseball game was out of control. But nevertheless, there's a there's a marketing agreement. They have to stay there. There was a big yellow thing, the little bug on the corner that said Golden Knight. And the whole time it's, it says up next. Like right now, if you look up, it says with the Lakers Nuggets. Right. It said up next Golden Knights mm-hmm. Oilers. Right. It changed that when the game started. Bright yellow, black letters, now on ESPN2. The second it got off ESPN2, it said, now switching to ESPN. I saw a bunch of people say, we didn't even get a warning. Relax. It's part. It, First of all, are you stupid? I'm not. No, not you. Are you stupid? <laughs> exactly. Now, there are cases where games cross over and they may, well, they always direct you somewhere. Yes. Now, the direction may be to go to... The internet, which sucks, because you want to watch it on your TV. Although, if you're, t- I mean, at this point, most people should have smart TVs, at least one. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, they gave you a heads up, and then it's you know it's the bitching and moaning from the Oilers fans, who like I just said five minutes ago, those in the arena, you sucked, you you actually sucked the energy out of your freaking team, and then the ones whining because the one I love is oh more bad pub for Gary Bettman. With ESPN, when it comes to hockey fans. Okay, you know what? How about they drop you? Let's go back to NBC. That sucked. Let's go back, really, in in the consciousness of a lot of American sports fans, let's go back to where hockey was like the 9th, 10th, or 11th sport because of the suck-ass exposure. Oh, and by the way. ESPN, I don't care if if you want to do your stupid political stuff when it comes to big ESPN, do it. But... Most sports, if they're not covered in some way by ESPN, and by the way, I, none of us have ever gotten a check from ESPN, so please, anyone out there who misunderstands, we don't work for Disney, okay? We are locally owned. We're a regional radio company, Lotus Broadcasting, so I, I'm i not one to sit here and beat the drum for what ESPN does, but based on our experience following hockey and also locally following the Mountain West Conference, hey, you're not involved with ESPN it's going to be second, real second class. So be an adult and find a way to find the freaking game. Well, here's your option. If you'd like to go back to MSNBC because you think they'll prioritize, well, guess what? If, the, if a Golden Knights game follows something that is contractually obligated, there's no MSNBC 2 right. or 3 or right. MSNBC News or something. Here, at least you had – there's ESPN 1, there's ESPN 2, there's ESPN News, there's ESPN U. NBC Sports Network? What, yeah, what it was whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, M- the yeah. thing was so poorly branded, NBC no one Sport, knew what it was. Yeah. NBC now I think it's Peacock. Yeah. Which we can get a whole thing, you know, with right. the NFL with but that. I know they're, they're they gave uh, that was the thing that irritated me most, Steve, was seeing people tweet without any warning, without any right. notice. No, there was a notice. My IQ seventy four. Yeah. How do I find the game? Well, the end of the game we found it. Here's Carlson to basically close things out. Bouchard high on the left side. Pass. Broke it up. Vegas coming out. Carlson has an open path to the cage.
stage. Carlson scores! Empty net goal. 5-2 Knights. 38 seconds to go in game six. Yeah, like I said, up yours. I don't like Edmonton. I don't like their fans. Whiny. Real whiny. Give me the final call. Over to the far boards with five seconds. Colasar is there to kill the clock. The game is over. The series is over. Knights advance to the Western Conference Final. Dispatch the Oilers in six games. Final score, Vegas 5, Edmonton 2. Yeah. Willie writes in the Sporting Tribune, back where they belong. Why'd you put it that way? Because they have been there now four of the six years. And they were the number one seed. And... They're supposed to be in the Western Conference Final as the top seed. They should not have been an underdog in this series. I don't care what anyone wants to tell me when you look at the entire depth. Okay, so if you want to tell me, well, we're unsure about the goaltending. Hmm. The goaltending was a random sampling of guys who have been there outside of they're replacing the all-star on the team this year, Logan Thompson, who would have been up for the Calder, the Rookie of the Year, if he was able to play the entire season, most likely, against a rookie. Now, Stuart Skinner, that's not to take away from who is, by the way, is up for the Calder for Rookie of the Year. They were going up against a rookie. I don't care what you tell me, how great you did. You are still, you've never experienced a pressure-packed arena like T-Mobile Arena. You've never you've been to T-Mobile during the regular season. Playoffs are different. He met the playoff Golden Knights that were fully healthy. We said this two weeks ago with Darren Millard. We said it with you and me. Mark Stone did not play in three of the four series. This is a team that's relatively healthy outside of their goaltending situation for the most part. They have dominated for the most part outside of an of a error major on Cody Eakin, but we don't know if they would have kept going, but... Marc-Andre Fleury gives up all those goals. They blew a 3-1 series lead. Five-minute major, blah, blah, blah. We know the story. They didn't make it then. They went to the Stanley Cup. They've been to the bubble final. They went to the Western Conference. They have been to now four of six Western Conference finals. This was the number one seed. They, since they've entered the league, the Golden Knights, have the second most playoff wins, 46 wins, behind the Tampa Bay Lightning, who won back-to-back Stanley Cups, and three games in front of the Colorado Avalanche, who won the Stanley Cup last year. So they are among the last three Stanley Cup champs. They are right back where they belong as the number one seed in the Western Conference, and that is defending, or not defending because they're not the defending conference champs, but they are back in the conference final where they will meet Either their former coach, Peter DeBoer, or the newest franchise in the league. Talk about storylines. I'd love to be able to cover. Oh, guess what? I am getting to cover one of those storylines. So how about it? Cofield and Company will be right back. Keep it here on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. So the Las Vegas Aces have their big media day today. A little different setup than the past. You win a championship, things get a little bigger. Protocols are different. They run you ragged. Uh, Let me tell you something, too. Their handlers, they have a clipboard, and everybody's got their own handler. Oh, wow. Right? I mean, Jennifer Azey is even 
I asked her, I was like, wow, they got Jennifer Hazy handling somebody today? She, she had uh, she had Alicia Clark. She's like, Willie, I like doing this because, you know, I, I, I we don't really have time a lot of times. You're getting ready for the season, and especially the new person, the new people. I want to meet with them. I want to talk to them. But this is a two-level thing. So they had Zoom downstairs, Holly Rowe in one room, media in the other. Then they're doing photos. Then they're doing their bio shots. And then the stuff you see on the screen, if they make a big shot, you know, the different things, the poses, right. having fun. They, but they would get up, down, up, down. I mean, good. Yeah, it was it it was wild. It was it was crazy. But yeah, as I said to somebody, I was like, "This is this is the thing. It's fun to 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 cover a championship season, but it's also a real pain in the butt." <laughs> well, on media day you, because as you, a media, you, you dealt with it. You've been a, there, so yeah. you got all the interviews. Yep. Uh, we had a bunch of them today. You caught up with Candace Parker and. We started off the conversation just talking about the impact of the Aces on the league with the, the way they've marketed this whole thing. You know, whenever you create a bar and you set an expectation, I think that, um, and you're ahead of the game, I think it challenges others to kind of step their game up. And I think that's what the Aces have done just in terms of it being kind of, kind of like the perfect setup where it's like the city city sin, everybody wants to come here, but then also putting women at the forefront and putting this team at the forefront of the city. Um, when you pull in and you see the huge marketing and you see the billboards around the city, it says a lot about what um, what the Aces mean to the city, but I think it also says a lot about what, as an organization, organization in WNBA, what other teams should do uh, to put the WNBA in the forefront. I noticed at the exhibition game the other day, the second that you and Chelsea were on the floor together, you shared a little mm-hmm. quick tap. It was like we're back together mm-hmm. again. How's that feel? I think that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, just being back playing. I didn't think it was possible to be back playing with her. I thought it was the, kind of the end in L.A. And, you know, we both got rings. And now we're back together to try to try to get our third. Um, she's a special friend, I think, first. And so kind of being there and being able to be on the court with her is, is icing on the cake. But to be able to hang out with her, you know, off the court. Yesterday, went to dinner for Mother's Day day before came over for Layla's birthday so I think it's just a combination of on the court and off the court. Bay also just yeah there's a nice little sparks vibe there and she's been through a lot but she has really been an integral part of this team. Mm -hmm. No for sure Bay is like one of my favorite people um and honestly if you ask my mom she might be her favorite player (laughs) (laughs) And and it's including me um Bay is just one of those people that like with LA just came to work and just got her got better and just put basketball, you know, she's always first in the gym, uh, one of the first there, one of the last to leave. So it's just great to be back on the court with her. And, um, you know, we, we have a, obviously a pre- previous relationship. And so I think just being able to hug her and, you know, and be her teammate again, it's special. Candace Parker, all-time great in the WNBA, veteran looking for another title, now with the Las Vegas Aces. Who is Bay? Raquana Williams. Okay. Veteran player, she played at the she played with the Sparks. She didn't get a she didn't get a ring with the Sparks. She obviously got one last year. She went through a tough season, um, injury plague, but she comes back in the playoffs and she was huge, stepped up huge in the postseason. I had a chance to talk to her later in the day. I'm going to be doing working with her on a special feature, Steve. She recently was honored. Um, I believe she went into 
maybe her school hall of fame or um, I have to look back, but she was honored and she did it. She, they threw a question and she went on this five minute. She talked about mental health and a lot of the stuff that she's been through. She's been through a lot. Her and I are going to work on a special project together for the Sporting Tribune as well. Really like Raquana Williams, special person, but she's a spark. So the three of them played together at one point. They all were together in L.A. and now back together again. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Nick Gizmondi, who's worked all over the NHL, including here in Vegas and worked with the Aces. Uh, a couple of years back, we got the game tonight. The uh, opponent is decided in a game seven. So we'll preview Seattle and Dallas. That one goes down at five o'clock local. Seattle and Dallas, five o'clock. Gizmondi on the way. Miss any of the show? We've got you covered. Head to LVSportsNetwork.com and go to podcasts to listen to all of your favorite LV Sports Network shows anytime from any place. All right, let's get you ready for uh, Seattle as I take the long pause there. And Dallas. I think I want Seattle in this series. We bring in Nick Gizmondi, who, of course, is very familiar with the Kraken, very familiar with the Knights as well. Nick, how you doing, buddy? What's up, guys? I miss you. How are you? It's, uh, it's all good over here. Nice to, nice to hear your voices. Nice to be back on air. Yeah, we're good. Deja vu. The Knights are back in the Western Conference Finals, so we'll get to the Knights in a couple minutes, but now all eyes are on Seattle and Dallas. First of all, give me your reaction to the uh, Seattle season in year number two here and this incredible run in the playoffs. Yeah, these guys were these guys were going to come in strong in that in that second year. You know, I, I've got a lot of respect for for Dave Haxtell, the head coach of that team, and you could see really evidently what he was trying to build last year and, and sort of the pieces that he were he was putting in place to to kind of get them in the spot that they're in right now. And it's a classic Dave Haxtell coach team: hard nosed, hard working. Nobody's necessarily a superstar, and it, it's it's got a lot of the same flavors and hints, if you will, that we sort of saw with Vegas in those first years. Just the right group of guys. Vegas obviously had that success in year year number one right away, but it was it was going to be a slower build in Seattle, no question about it. And I think what you're seeing right now is the fruits of, of the work that was actually put in, truthfully, last year and then over the summer. They're a team that's just, they got four fourth lines. They're going to grind you the entire time. Yeah, they got guys um, that can score some goals, but uh, they played very fast. Um, Jordan Everly has been great for them. Jaden Schwartz has been great with them. Um, I, I just love the way that this team plays. And then, of course, you know, Matty Beneers, we knew he was going to be good this season, no question about it. And I think his mentality, coupled with his skill, is what makes that team a little bit dangerous. So, Nick, I uh, prior to the opening round, I said to – Danny Webster sitting next to me at T-Mobile. I was like, hey, listen, Kraken are going to come in with a chip on the shoulder for one reason in this more than any other reason, and he's sitting in net because he has something to prove. And Danny said, eh, he may have something left in him. I was like, okay, we'll see. How much has this dude – I mean, you talk because you were here. You said it. You talked about it uh, when you were covering the Golden Knights. You get a good goaltender. You get a hot goaltender, but you also get a veteran goaltender who can win – Group hour has been a big part of this. Yeah, I would argue, my friend, that group hour is probably the biggest part of it. And, you know, I think there's a little chip on his shoulder. Listen, I'm the first guy to, to say that he did not have a good year last year with Seattle. And a lot of the reason that they may have struggled a little bit was because they weren't necessarily getting the, the performance out of group hour that I thought they, that they thought that they were going to get. So, I think he probably looked at last year as probably not 
his best effort and so certainly came in through this season with a different goaltender in my mind. Looked like he was back in his heyday. Looks like he was when he was back, you know, leading the Colorado Avalanche. So, yeah, the performance of Grubauer is, is everything right now. And I, I'll make that argument about any team that's successful in, in the playoffs. You need a lot of things to go right, but the biggest star on your team has got to be your goaltender. And I remember back in, you know, I think the biggest, my biggest example of that was in 2012 and in 2014. I wasn't working in the NHL at the time, but I was living in Los Angeles, and my two best friends were playing for the L.A. Kings. So I was very, very focused on that Stanley Cup playoff run the two years they won the Cup. And Jonathan Quick was instrumental in winning them those Cups. He was far and away the guy. And in 2012, they got into the playoffs by a, by a point in the final game of the year, and then they went on one of the most epic tears ever, and it had everything to do with, with Jonathan Quick. So the way Grubauer's playing right now, clearly hasn't filled a lot of confidence in Seattle. And I, Seattle's game is to play fast. And if you have a goaltender that's doing his job and covering his end, it allows you to play fast. And you're not so worried about having to be skittish and scared in the defensive zone. You can play a little bit more free, and that's what they're getting out of Grubauer. Speaking with Nick Gismondi, voice of the Seattle Kraken. So listen, Jake Ottinger is has has had a great season. He's proven himself. He's got a couple of years under his belt, but he's not a seasoned and grizzled veteran. We just saw what the Golden Knights did to a rookie goaltender in absolutely taking him out of, his, out of his out of his game. Why can Seattle go in and win this game against Ottinger? Well, I, you know, I, I, I think that Ottinger's obviously a, a little bit rattled. He got pulled in game six there after four goals on 18 shots. And, you know, similar fate in game number three. But, listen, this is a guy that's got – Ottinger's got a big mindset, right? This guy's a guy who can who can stand up and play. I'm a big fan of Pete DeBoer. Obviously, you all are familiar with him. He tends to get a lot out of young guys. So, Ottinger is the key <laughs> – uh, for the Dallas Stars here, uh, but if the if the Kraken score first and they play as fast as as they played here in the last you know few games, it's it could be it could be trouble for Dallas. But I would fully expect I would fully expect Ottinger to have the game of his series uh, game of his game of his series probably game of his career tonight. So I would expect. I mean, I always hate making these predictions. I think it'll be a low scoring game, but if <laughs> It's, it's, it's going to be one or the other here. It's, it's going to be a one-goal game, like a like a 2-1 OT final, or it's going to be like a 10-7 a, a game. So I, I, it's going to go one or two ways. It is not going to be middle of the road, I don't think. So I can get the Kraken at plus 170. i got to play the dog, right? Tight game? Do it. Okay. Do it. All right. Do uh, it. Nick Ismondi, ESPN Las Vegas, with Cofield and company. All right. Uh, Willie wanted to throw it out there. What, uh, what storyline do you think the NHL would like to see more? Uh, Kraken? Or DeBoer versus the Golden Knights? Oh, Josh. Well, I uh, both good. <laughs> oh, boy. I think the NHL probably wants Seattle, obviously. It looks good when a team can, you know, develop and be successful, and it helps that market certainly grow and be very big. I mean, they're hockey crazy already at the gorgeous arena, but uh, – I would love, I would love for, I would love to see the Pete DeBoer. Uh, I would love to see the Pete DeBoer Western Conference battle. I, I personally would like to see that. I, I like Pete quite a bit. I've known Pete, I've known Pete since I was, uh, got 14 years old. So he was my first boss in hockey, and I almost played for the man. So I'm, 
I've always had a very big soft spot for him and Steve Spot. They uh, they're good close friends of mine, and I hope they I hope they find success. He he, listen, I'm not rooting against anybody or for anybody, but I would obviously be it would obviously be very cool if uh, Pete Moore could get a cup at some point in his career. I'm gonna ask both of you guys this, uh, Willie. You go second. <laughs> Nick Nick is the guest. He gets to go first. Uh, you watch the big you watch the Vegas Golden Knights series. Um, well, Willie, you want to ask about the postseason or the series? This is kind of interesting. Who do you think, Nick, has been the most valuable skater for the Knights in this postseason? A lot of choices. Boy. A lot of cho- I know. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of choices. I don't know as though the way that you the, the way that you guys play, it's so collective. But and listen, this goes back to my time with you all, and I think someone who always constantly was an under-the-radar, super-impressive guy for me because it's not just about what he does on the scoreboard, but it's the leadership, it's the spunk, it's the pizzazz. I think if you had to put a face of Golden Knights hockey out there collectively through your entire history of this postseason, it's Jonathan Marcheseau. Hmm. Uh, I just I love everything about the way he plays. He was huge. He has been huge for you guys, and I think that he's doing a lot more than what he's just doing on the scoreboard. He's doing a lot on the scoreboard, too. You think Eichel's delivered? Because I think he's been very balanced. Um, he's done a lot of productive things. It's not always the goals. Yeah, no, I think he is. I think, I think, I think you're getting out of Jack what you wanted to get out of Jack. But for me, you know, the overall picture and just the personality of Marshall So is embedded in this team. You all play a little bit gritty. You all play a little angry French Canadian at times. And, and, and I, I think that, you know, the spunk that, that Marshy brings to that team and has since day number one um, is the reason why you guys are the way you are and what the identity of the Vegas Golden Knights are. And now, that'd be a good question for you guys to, to maybe ask the coaching staff at some point and just see what what more is Jonathan Marshall so doing for that organization than just uh, his product on the ice. Because I would be willing to bet that the fabric of his mentality is is, is the weave that has made you guys successful. Willie, give me your most valuable person because I know – Last series, you were going gaga over uh, Wild Bill. He he was undoubtedly the best skater against Winnipeg. Okay. But overall, now through two series, I agree with Nick where he's talking about Marchesaw. Eichel's a good candidate. But I'm going to tell you somebody sort of just behind the scenes, but not behind the scenes, but not going to be mentioned because he's not a spotlight grabber. Chandler Stevenson is so efficient up and down the – forward lines and can skate with anybody and has had to adapt and this goes back to last year in that ridiculously injury plagued season where DeBoer had to shuffle lines and move him up and down playing with so many people he's become used to it he's the one that had to find chemistry when Eichel came back from neck surgery stone back injury back and forth you know back and forth Chandler Stevenson is so adaptable and so He's a utility player, meaning like he he's a center, yes, but he's util- where he can adapt and knows every single forward and every single style that they play and then can play gritty and can play greasy and can muck it up. I love Chandler Stevenson's play, I, and I think he is an MVP of this I, team as much as anybody else. I hope Nick responds by being like, yeah, nothing impressed. After You really sold that one. What do you think, Nick? 
Stevenson is still on the roster? Yeah, no, I'm right? kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, he is. He has been great. And Willie, you, you're making the same arguments that I'm that I'm basically making. You need you need guys that you need a team full of guys that are that are Chandler Stevensons and, and Marshall Sos who who aren't the big name necessarily big name guys like it like an Eichel or uh, you know or McDavid or Drysdale, you, you know. But but I I, I think. I think when you have guys that are willing to work hard like that, you, you it brings everybody else up, right? So the way that he plays and the way that he moves and the way that his presence is felt on the ice, I would I would argue with I would argue with Stevenson as well. I just think that I just think that Jonathan Marchessault's tenure also probably helps because I got a feeling he's the one stirring the drink in that room. Nick Ismani. On Cofield and Company, ESPN Las Vegas. Um, coming out of the this series now, Edmonton loses. McDavid not going to win a cup. Canada not going to win a cup. Does McDavid need to think about going? I saw a Bleacher Report story that uh, Willie sent me actually uh, about McDavid starting to think like uh, Kevin Durant and just um, you know start looking around. You know, start looking around. Is it time for him to start ring chasing? Uh, not yet. I mean, maybe eventually in his career he's going to have to do it. I mean, a lot of great guys have done it. Clearly, certainly, you know, Chris Chelios chased one, and Ray Bork obviously chased one, and you see it happen. The big guys, you know, they want to make a mark. I think it's a travesty if Connor McDavid never wins a Stanley Cup in the NHL, given his ability. Uh, but I don't think he's there yet, because I think there's also something to be said for gutting it out and sticking with your team and helping them do something that everybody wants badly. I think, of you know, obviously Mark Messier won a ton of cups with the Edmonton Oilers, but... You know, I would, I would say that probably one of Mark's most important cups is the one that he won with the New York Rangers when he broke that drought in '94, and the promise that he made to get him there, and the, the guarantee. You know, so 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 great players find a way to to make it work, and I think it's a bigger statement for Connor McDavid to do it with a team that maybe has struggled a little bit, rather than pop in at the trade deadline with a with a guaranteed cup contender just to say he got his name on the cup. I think there's a lot more pride in it if he does it with the guy that he started with and he gets him there. Nick, thanks for stepping up on short notice, man. We appreciate it. Good to hear from you. And let's get you on before the end of the playoffs. Uh, we, we miss you a lot. I know you said it at the beginning. I didn't respond, but we do. We miss your analysis. You're a good guy, and your hockey takes are awesome. Hey, listen, you guys mean a lot to me. You always have. And I think very fondly about my time there with you guys all of the time. And who knows? Maybe one day we'll, uh, maybe one day we'll run it back. Woo! Thank you, thank you for the compliments and the kind words, and uh, I would definitely love to jump on whenever. If the Kraken win tonight, be prepared, my friend. I will be up there at some point. Uh, Roger that. Roger that. It's always good seeing you, my guy. There he is, Nick Ismondi, uh, working with the uh, Kraken of the Past NHL Network now. VGK, of course, in the very early times. So good perspective on uh, what's going on with the Golden Knights as they're in the Western Conference Finals. And again, 5 o'clock start tonight, 5 o'clock start. I want to find out from Willie later in the show what storyline he wants to see play out in the Western Conference Finals. So we want to see Pete DeBoer get a chance to go back at his bosses. A lot of people thought that uh, Pete didn't deserve to get the boot or, hmm, well, I'd like to see the Kraken. I have a healthy dislike of Seattle as well. Get some of their dopey radio host on.